0: We are in a series titled Outcry, a study of 12 Psalms of David. Now, David penned a lot more than 12 Psalms, but for most of the Psalms, we don't know the historical situation he was in. But for 13 Psalms, David says, here's what's going on in my life when I pen this Psalm. And so we are, we're calling it Outcry because we get to listen in as David cries out to the Lord from the midst of his situation. And sometimes it's a desperate situation. And he's crying out, God, deliver me. If you don't come through for me, I am sunk. And sometimes he's saying, God, thank you for, for your faithfulness in my life. And I'm, I'm re- recalling this time in which you did rescue me and I'm just praising you. And sometimes David is just um, extolling God for being on the throne. And as a result, uh, taking comfort in the fact that at the end of the day, everything in the world is going to be all right. And so we get to listen in as David cries out to the Lord and learn. Uh, There are a few things more important to us spiritually than knowing how to bring before the Lord uh, our real-life situation and how to pray with faith through that situation. One of the reasons we have uh, Psalms in the Bible is because God's people have for centuries benefited from other people's prayers, from seeing how other godly people grapple with their fears, their hopes, their dreams, their joys. And sometimes we simply uh, just use their words as our own, and we pray a psalm, and we let someone else's words speak for us. And that's okay. Uh, that's why they're in the Bible, to learn from, to, to model our, our prayer life after. Because at the end of the day, uh, all the psalms are reflecting a, um, a, a faith response to the real-life situation uh, with all of its rawness, and it's beautiful. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Psalm chapter 30. This is our psalm for today. The historical situation. I start with the superscript. Now, the superscripts, by the way, This superscript was not written by David himself. It was written by those who compiled the Psalms into the book of Psalms. But we consider they are part of sacred scripture. They were absolutely around uh, when Jesus Christ walked the earth and he treated them as scripture. So here's the historical situation, superscript. A Psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. So this Psalm 30 was written by David and it was turned into a song and sung at the temple's dedication during the dedication service. We don't know, however, some things that we'd like to know. So we know it was written by David, and we know it was turned into a song and sung at the dedication of the temple. But which dedication? There are two temples. There was the temple built by Solomon in 957 B.C., But that temple was destroyed by the Babylonians, and a second temple was built when the people of God returned from the exile. Uh, In 516, they built a second temple. And so, was this psalm sung at the dedication of the first temple, the second temple, or both? We don't know. Secondly, we don't know whether David penned Psalm 30 specifically to be sung at the temple's dedication, whether he was pre-thinking that event, or whether later Israelites selected Psalm 30 to be sung at the dedication, whether they said, ooh, that's the perfect psalm. Either way, whether it was David who penned the psalm for the purpose of the temple's dedication, or, or later Israelites who recognized it as the perfect psalm to be sung, it this psalm tells us the primary purpose of the temple and Three, it's three core activities. All right, let's read this psalm and then we'll uh, unpack it together. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol, You restored me to to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you, his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You've loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. That my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Now, there are some things that are conspicuously absent from this psalm. Nowhere does it talk about the building. Nowhere does this psalm say, this is one of the wonders of the ancient world, and it proclaims the glory of the nation Israel, the skill of her craftsmen, her wealth. Nothing in here about the glory of the nation, nothing in here about the building, although it was one of the wonders of the ancient world. Nothing in here about the glory of the nation. It's all about relationship. Relationship between God and David and and God and the larger community of Israel. And so therefore we see that the temple's primary purpose is to facilitate relationship between God and his people. They're keeping the main thing the main thing. You know, religion... The purpose of religion is, is never to give God something that he's lacking. The purpose of religion is, is not to jump through hurt hoops or organize our lives, give, give our lives some kind of a, a extra depth, three dimensions, spiritual side to us. Religion is all about, and Christianity is a religion. I know religion gets a bad name, but all it is there is just the, the, the kind of structure around which we relate to God. Religion's all about a relationship between people and their Creator. And so, are we keeping the main thing the main thing? Do you have a personal relationship with God? Do you? talk to him? Do you believe that he knows you by name, knows the very, the number of hairs on your head, that he cares about you? Do you live your life before him? Do you seek to know him more day by day? Are we keeping the main thing, the main thing? So the primary purpose of the temple is relationship, to facilitate relationship. The primary, the core activities, and there are three, the first core activity of the temple, uh, we see here in verses one through three. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. David's foes would have rejoiced in his death. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. Sheol is simply uh, uh, a word for the, the place of the dead. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Another uh, metaphor for death. So apparently, David had a life-threatening illness. And he cried out to the Lord, please, heal me. And God did. And so here we see the first core activity of the temple is to cry out to God. It was a place where people could come and cry out to the Lord for help. And for the thousand years that the temple stood, countless people brought every kind of trouble before the Lord and they cried out to him for help. God's people came to the temple and they said, I'm sick, please heal me. They cried out on behalf of their children. They poured out their broken heart over uh, marriage problems, financial woes. They asked the Lord to uh, free them from the oppressor. Every problem under the sun, there is nothing new under the sun. Every problem that you have faced and I have faced, God's people brought to the temple and they cried out to the Lord. And just like he heard David and answered David's cry, so he hears the cries of his people. To cry out to the Lord requires faith. It requires uh, faith that God has the power to help us, which I don't think is that difficult. if you believe there's a God, I don't think it's hard to imagine or believe that He has the power to help us, but does He have the will? to cry out to the Lord, it requires that we believe that He cares about us, that when we cry out to him he He listens, that it matters to him, that he responds just like he did to David. All right. So I have to imagine you're thinking, this is an interesting history lesson, but we haven't had a temple for two thousand years. Who cares? Well, we don't have a building but the temple of god is alive and well on planet earth. The apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 3 and also in 1 Corinthians 6 that the Christian is the temple of god. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 16. Do you not know, Christian, that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? 1 Corinthians 6:19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? The reason the temple was the temple was because God chose to reside there. In fact, there was a time in which uh, due to the sin of the nation of Israel, God finally had enough and, and his spirit left the temple. And shortly thereafter, the Babylonians came and destroyed it. Well, Paul is saying, Christian, the spirit of the living God indwells you. You are the temple. And so here is, here's why this is important. I think when we look at Psalm 30 and we see the core activities of the temple, we're seeing the core activities of our lives. And so... The temple was a place where people could come and cry out to the Lord. People ought to be able to come to you and to me and ask us to cry out to the Lord on their behalf. A couple days ago, my mom was uh, commenting. On, she just said, oh, every, I pray for the Kephalos boys every day. And I thought, I have a hard enough time praying for my kids every day. She's down to, you know, her kids or grandkids, and now she's off with somebody else's kids. But that's, see, my mom is fulfilling uh, one of the core functions of the temple. She cries out to the Lord on other people's behalf. Do we do that? This should be a core function of our life. When people tell us about uh, their needs, tell us what's going on in their lives and we get this right people tell us this stuff we have all there are lots of things we could pray for but are we are we crying out to the lord on their behalf of course on our own behalf too and on behalf of our families but this should be one of the core functions of the christian to cry out to the lord for help confident that he hears and he cares and he answers is this a core function of your life temple of god The second core function of the temple, and thus core function of our lives as Christians, we see in verses 4 through 7. Sing praises to the Lord, O you His saints, and give thanks to His holy name. For His anger is but for a moment, and His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me... I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. Here David is telling on himself. And he's saying there was a time when I was prosperous and pride and uh, welled up within me. And I said, I'm never going to be moved. I'm on top of the world and I'm going to stay here. But you know what? The Lord hid his face from David, and David was humbled. Because God can't bless pride, right? Now, maybe David had in mind the time in which he conspired to have Uriah the Hittite killed so that he could take Uriah's wife Bathsheba as his own. We don't know what he had in mind, but he is envisioning a time in which he had strayed from the Lord and the, the and needed reconciled to God. Notice in these verses, there's reversal of fortune. The anger of God turns into the favor of God. Our weeping turns into joy. And so here we see the second core function of the temple. It was a place where people could come to be reconciled to God. and they did. In fact, every single year, uh, the the head, uh, head of the family went to the temple at least once a year, and there offered a sacrifice on behalf of the family, to pay for the sins of the family so that they could be in in good standing with God. And it was very graphic. Uh, If um, the head of the family had to bring a lamb or a bull, and they had to actually put their hand on the animal's head and cut the throat of the animal. And why? So the priest didn't cut the throat of the animal. The head of the family had to do that so that it would... It was a graphic reminder that my sins and the sins of my family are causing the death of the animal. For the wages of sin is death. Because I have sinned and we have sinned, this animal is dying. Now, animals can't pay for the sins of a human. They just atoned, which means covered. The sins of people were not taken away until the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, died. And who is that? Jesus Christ, the God-man. He was the, the, the ultimate sacrifice. I want to read from 1 John, where the Apostle John describes the process of reconciliation with God that is in play today. So in the, during the time of the temple, people, animals were, the lives of animals were taken, and here we are in the New Testament era, the church age. First John chapter 1, starting in verse 5, a little bit longer section. But here, John is describing the gospel. This is the message we have heard from him, that would be Jesus, and proclaim to you. That God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. That's who God is, right? Perfection, moral perfection. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. How are we supposed to have fellowship with a a holy God when our lives are unholy? But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. There's the sacrifice. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So everyone needs the blood of Christ cleansing them. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. That's the goal, right? Be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. But if anyone does sin, and we do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. That's a big word, but it means that he is the payment for. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Notice the the ways that people can deceive themselves. Um, I can live live like hell and I'm going to heaven. That's a lie. Uh, Or this, I have never sinned, therefore I don't need the blood of Christ to pay for my sins. That's a lie. A lot of ways people deceive themselves. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So here's the New Testament process for being reconciled to God. You sin, and then you confess it. God, I have sinned. Forgive me. And God is faithful and just to forgive us based on the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ. So you cannot be reconciled to God apart from Christ, apart from a relationship with Jesus. And so we call, we, we use two words to simplify things. We talk about repentance and faith. Repentance is turning from a life of sin, a life of independence from God, uh, a life of rebellion against God, and we turn toward God in faith, through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. And then we make Jesus uh, leader of our life. That's how we are reconciled with God. So, temple of God. Just Just like the building was a place where people could come to be reconciled to God, are you a place where people can come and be reconciled to God? People should be able to come to you and hear about the gospel. They, Christians should be able to come to us and confess our, their sins and then hear back from us. You know what? Because Christ died on the cross for your sins, you're forgiven. Go and walk in that forgiveness. Other people should come and say, how do I, how do I know God? And we should be able to share with them the good news that Christ died for their sins and if they put their faith in Jesus Christ. And let him lead the leader of their life. Hey. God promises that he's faithful and just. Forgive them and cleanse them. And have a, a, a relationship with them. So is that a core function of our life? Are we evangelists? Are we sharing the gospel? Will there be people in heaven? Because of us. Ultimately because of God. But did we Did we? Share the gospel with them. Are there Christians. Who are walking in greater freedom. Because we have. Communicated to them. The love and grace of God. Is this a core function. Of our life. The final core function of the temple. We see here in verses 8 through 12. To you O Lord. I cry. And to the Lord. I plead for mercy. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. The third core function of the temple is to be a place of praise to God. That my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. I'll give thanks to you forever. I like how David reasons with God. Hey, if I die, who's going to be praising you? If, if, you, if I go back into the ground and turn into dust, is the dust going to be singing your praises? God, you should keep me alive a little longer so I can, can do more singing of praise to you. Apparently, God responded to that. Temple of God is praising God one of your core life functions. Not just singing uh, on Sunday, but all throughout the week. Are we we extolling? Look at all these. I extol you, O Lord. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints. Sing your praise. I will give thanks to you forever. Do we walk uh, through the day and just periodically mutter, God, you are are good. Thank you for your word. I thank you that uh, you have shown me uh, the path of life. You have been so gracious to me and to my family. God, I just heard this uh, testimony from a friend about how you took care of them. And I just praise you for that. You're so good. Do That should just be flowing out of us. And we have to discipline ourselves to do that because it's a core function of our lives. Psalm 34, 1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. That's a vision for us, right? Like Honda's vision, a car in every garage, the Christian vision. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Or, uh, well, yeah, okay. Hebrews 13, 15. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. Continually, right? Rejoice always, 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you and for me. We We are the temple of God, and we should be praising God. You know, the, the, uh, the temple, they had full-time temple singers, temple musicians, whose, uh, their whole point was to ensure that praise was constantly going up from the, from the nation of Israel uh, to the Lord. That's a, that there just would not be a day when God was not praised. And I think that's a good vision uh, for us as well. All right, to summarize. The primary purpose of the temple was to facilitate relationship. Keep the main thing the main thing. It's all about a relationship with God. Uh, we're not just going through motions, it's not about checking off the to do list. In fact, the to do's are only uh, significant in, in the fact that they help us uh, help facilitate relationship with God. That's the point of them. Prayer, fasting, reading your Bible. You don't get bonus points for that it it's it's the bonus is if it deepens your relationship with God and your trust in him and your love for him that's why you do the spiritual disciplines right and and that's an, that's important otherwise spiritual disciplines become burdensome as opposed to privileges and joy so are we keeping the main thing the main thing it's all about relationship and then are these core are these uh core activities of our our lives, Um, number one, are we a place, are we crying out to the Lord on behalf of other people? Are we a place where people can come and uh, ask us to cry out to God for help? Are we helping people be reconciled to God? Are we sharing the gospel with other people? And finally, are we uh, engaged in continual praise of God? May I submit to you that the more that these are core activities of our lives, the more fulfilled we will be and the more spiritually vibrant and vital we will be. Because if the spirit of the living God dwells within you, you are the temple of God and you will be happiest as you're engaged in these uh, core activities. So I want to conclude by talking to the non christian Until you are indwelt with the Spirit of God, you're not the temple of God. There is a massive difference between those who are indwelt with the Spirit of God and those who are not. Those who are indwelt with the Spirit of God are in constant communion with God and the life of God is at work within their lives. Those who are not indwelt with the Spirit of God, they don't have that relationship with God. It's a totally different way of living. And so... If this is, why would you be in church if this weren't somewhat attractive to you? God promises to send his spirit to indwell the follower of Christ. And if you want that life, it comes about through repenting of your sins and putting your faith in God's son, Jesus, and making him Lord of your life. And God says, if you do that, I will honor that decision by Granting you my spirit to dwell within you, uh, to transform you from the inside out. And ultimately, when you die, my spirit will take you to to dwell with me for all time. And so, I don't want to um, end today's service without offering that to you. In fact, the Bible says that uh, I'm supposed to do that. Here's what it says. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Okay, so God wants you to hear him inviting you, appealing you, appealing to you through me. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God wants a relationship with you. And relationships always have a starting point, don't they? And today can be the starting point, where you can go from being a person not indwelt with the Spirit of God to a person who is reconciled to God, indwelt with his Spirit, and then begin a life whereby you... uh, Engage in these core functions of the temple.